What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Ben and Chris Talk Sports. I'm Chris. And I'm Ben. We're here to bring you our opinion on the news notes and happenings from around the world of sports. Episode 191. Thank you very much for joining us on a rather windy, overcast, crummy-looking Saturday afternoon here in the uh, northeast United States. Um, a couple weeks, we had a couple week hiatus there, scheduling, and then I came down with something last weekend, and man, I was I was beat up all week. I was, oof. Went out with uh, some friends last Saturday in, in, in Boston, went to see Survivor Series in person, and that was super fun, had a great time, but uh, woke up the next day and I felt like death warmed over. I got, got whatever's going around, but feeling better now, and... Uh, yeah, Ben. Yeah, yeah. You know, something something else happened last Saturday uh, that you're you're rather happy about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm just gonna cede the floor to you and let you go on your your happy rant here for a few minutes. And I might jump in now and then with a question, but uh, floor is yours. It, it it has been so long that I've had to watch and listen and hear about how Ohio State is that much better than. Michigan, including last Saturday, by the way, including last Saturday, which is which is phenomenally stupid because I, I'm watching the pregame and everyone on every, and I'm not just talking about one. I'm talking about every other tele, every telecast uh, pregame. It, it all all Ohio State, all everyone's going. Oh yeah, Ohio State's going to win. Check check. Uh, the Heisman Trophy front runner. The defense is playing much better. They brought in this guy who's you know he's just gonna put this uh, scheme in play and it's gonna shut down Michigan. They're gonna shut down Michigan's running game. All things are coming up Ohio State, um, except for two people. I was gonna say yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Except <laughs> for two people, one Mr. Desmond Howard, <clears throat> Heisman Trophy Award winner, and, Michigan alum, and Michigan alum, yes, uh, and Mr. Charles Woodson. Hall of Famer. The great, the great. The great. Mr. Charles Woodson. Fantastic Mr. Charles Woodson. Heisman Trophy Award winner in 1997. Got Aaron Rodgers' only ring. That's right. If it wasn't for that 2009 Defense Player of the Year, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have a ring. And like I said, he's a Hall of Famer. I guess all Charles can't win them all. Not all of them, no. But when when you and, and your fellow alum from Michigan are the only two people on any telecast that say Michigan's going to win. Uh, you do spike the ball afterwards when Michigan just look, it was close going into the half. I understand. I think it was 20 to 17 Ohio state. But then they went I home. Went, they, didn't, they didn't come out for the second half. They went home. They clearly went home. They clearly took the playbook Look, Chris. They were Ohio State was running the ball. Uh, Michigan was ineffective because, as everyone knows, Blake Corum was down. He tried to play, but he was like in for two snaps, and then he, he, he was just done. Uh, hey. Side note: He has he had season injury uh, surgery uh, that sucks. Uh, yesterday. I, I heard Urban Meyer was so upset about the outcome he didn't even go to a bar and cheat on his wife afterwards. He just went home. That is factual. That's statement. that's, that's that amazing. That's factual that's statement. Amazing. Um. But they went into halftime. It, were, it was they were up. It could have been a lot more, Chris. It could have been a lot more. And then the second half starts. And I'll tell you this: as watching every game this year uh, for 
the University of Michigan. Uh, the second half is where they they hang their hats. They come out and they just beat people up, and that's what happened. Uh, Donovan Edwards. This is the backup running back. Some would say the one one B to Blake Corm's one A. Uh, if Blake Corm wasn't there, Donovan Edwards would probably be having the same stats as him as as Blake Corum, if not better. Uh, he rips off not one, but two 70-plus yard rushes to the house. And C.J. Stroud, who is the, the Heisman front, well, <clears throat> was the Heisman front runner, uh, just stood in the pocket, patting the ball, couldn't figure out the defense. Chris, I'm telling you, they literally went away from the running game that was actually being successful. And they just wanted to pass. They just wanted to pass, 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 pass. They have the, you know, top receivers in the in the in the college football. Marvin Harrison Jr. Sound familiar, Chris? I've seen the video of that kid. He's a monster. Oh, he's good. He's good. <laughs> yeah. But they unfortunately Michigan just doubled him up and, you know, hey, if you got his catches, great. But uh it just turned into a domination and there was two turnovers in the second half by C.J. Stroud, an interception, and then, uh, uh, I don't know, you call it interception fumble. It was one of those, you know, the receiver caught it, but then fumbled it, but it never hit the ground. It's one of those kind of mm-hmm. interceptions. So who do you blame? Uh, C.J. Stroud, you blame C.J. Stroud, because he just he just threw up on himself for this game. Um, the old McNabb. And, I, and, and at Chris, I would say this, this, this was worse than last year. And... and you ask why? Why was it worse? One, Michigan scored more points. That's number one. Number two, Ohio State said they were going to come out and stop the run. <laughs> Oops. Oops. And number three. And I had a third point. Oh, Chris, where did they play last year? They played in Michigan, right? Yes. Yeah. Where do you think they played this year? <laughs> Ohio State. Ah, uh, right. They were in the shoe, and they the the silence in the fourth quarter was just poetry and you could just start seeing them after Donovan Edwards second touchdown run you just started seeing them flocking to the exits and then it came to and then came the post game and Urban Meyer trying to give credit to Michigan even though we knew he was full of shit because you know he was touting at second halftime and in the background Chris all you could hear were Ohio State's fans cheering for Urban Meyer to come back and that's just a sad state of that team. Is that your your head coach, who's been in place, I think, for like four, three or four years, who is handed a program that could challenge for a national championship, handled Michigan pretty much easily, uh, as hard as that is to say, and really was just top shelf. Uh, there is a quote out there, Chris. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, it's been in many places. Uh, but Jim Harbaugh said it last year. Ryan Day is the head coach of Ohio State, just if, if you don't know who he is. Uh, he he was he was born on third base, Chris. He oh, was yeah. born yep. on third yep. base. Yep. And born on third base. Where, I think he hit a triple. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And that's where he stayed. And that's where he is. He's and, and if you don't get the, the, the understanding of, of what I'm talking about, Urban Meyer handed him a program. And it was national championship ready. Recruits were just flocking to the university. 
And he just took it and said, ooh, this is mine. I built it. And now he's just, some would say he's gone back to second base at this point. Instead of, you know, you have that, that ready-made pizza for dinner. Instead of just taking it out of the box, putting it in the oven, and doing the one thing you need to do, it's, oh, let's let this thaw out on the countertop for some reason and put a whole bunch of random ingredients, and it's just going to work the exact same way. It's like, well, well, no, because now you're adding stuff to it. The composition's different. You completely messed up the structure. I don't know. It works in my head. I didn't explain it the best, but it's... No, 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 no. I like, it's like, I it's like, like you're just adding things like to something that doesn't need help. It's already there. It already is what it is. It's fine. And now you're going to add more things to it and just try to, like... Now it's still... Oh, it's still just a, a, a frozen pizza. It's like, well, no. Now you completely changed everything. You screwed the entire thing up. Like, I mean, it is, but it isn't. And and now you want it to cook the same way. You want it to come out the same way. You want it the same results. You're not going to get it. All you had to do was that very simple thing. And what they were doing was working. And I'm sure all Urban didn't just hand them the keys to the team and go, yours now, kid, later. Right. <laughs> it sticks in second a little bit. Like, <laughs> no, he's like... <laughs> You probably sat down and said, oh, hey, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. This is a problem. That's good. That's bad. And this guy is just like, oh, well, you know what? I'm going to I'm gonna Cowboys this in the 90s up here. And uh, right. <laughs> when Jimmy Johnson left and he handed the team to, I always forget the guy's name. Barry Switzer. Barry Switzer. You guys remind me of that like every week. Um, he handed to Switzer. It was, it was the same thing. It was like, yeah, they won a Super Bowl with Switzer, but it wasn't his team. And then when it had to become his team, when he started seeing his sightings and his structure and the team he built, uh, not, not not the same results, to say the least. So, I mean, it's uh, it was fun to watch because I was also with uh, last week uh, another another good friend of mine who is also a huge Michigan fan. We went to the show with, and uh, he was he was very very excited because I don't know if he came out of the game or came out of the uh, went to dinner before the show and. <laughs> get out of dinner and we're looking at the phone and we're like is that score right that's when i text you and i'm like not a bad game huh because the last time you texted me before that it was michigan had like just taken the lead i'm like yeah they, they built on that a bit because we're up by three touchdowns or something right now so that was that was pretty fun when when, when you're in the game chris um michigan twitter just kind of takes over and you just it's been so long that you, you you'd get in this group of people and you just like you're you're feeding into each other and you're making it like it, it's just feeling good and you just want to keep that kind of buzz going. Oh yeah. So I kind of got wrapped up into that, you know, whole Michigan Twitter just kind of watching the utter destruction of the Ohio State Buckeyes in the shoe. It was fantastic. And and I'll cap it off with this, Chris, and and you don't need to be a college savant. You don't need to be a, a peripheral college football fan to understand this concept, okay? You had two Ohio recruits. And these are not like two-star, three-star. I think they were like four-star recruits. They were at the game invited by Ohio State. Let me reiterate that point, Chris. They were invited by Ohio State. After the game, they yeah. both committed. They both committed to Michigan. Really? They both because <laughs> one of them one of them came out and said, "Ohio State treated my recruitment 
as and I'm I'm paraphrasing. There's a lot. He actually, the person actually went on a, a statement in full, uh, but basically, uh, they treated it like it was just their given right that this Ohio State recruit was going to Ohio State, and he said, "I want to play bully ball," and that's what Michigan plays. I'm going to Michigan, mm-hmm. and you no, know, there's I'm not I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not trying to knock any recruits from Florida or California or, or any of that. But if you don't win your state or you don't respect your recruits from your state, then you're not going to have that, that culture and that ability to win the atmosphere that you're in. Because let's be honest, Ohio and Michigan, it gets cold. It gets rainy, gets wet. It was, it was a beautiful day out by the way on, on, that sad uh, last Saturday, beautiful. We're talking fifties, suns, very light wind. It was picturesque football for Ohio State, but the atmosphere you built is indicative of what players you bring in. And you can bring in some pl- recruits from around the country, but you want to build your your base from the state you're in. And they're just. This is what it's turned into. It's turned into they're treating their recruits in Ohio as, oh, you're going to come here because yeah. we're Ohio State. When... And now they just, and, and now they just flipped to Michigan, which is a big punch in the gut. I, I, I there's no there's no meat left on the bone. The only the only downside right now, Chris, and and I'll I'll shift off of the game. Because I could go on for twenty minutes, and I don't want to do that. Uh, as much as I'd love to, I don't. Well, want looking to. at the recording here, we oh, we're only at fourteen. I thought we were going to go a good, good twenty. So there you go. Okay. A um, couple things have happened, and, and I'm going to shift into um, kind of what the playoffs going to look like. Um, yeah, you told me this before you started recording. This is interesting to me. Well, I'm going I'm to I'm going to start with where we're at this year, and then I'm going to shift to what's going to happen in the future. And where we're at right now is by percentages, we're looking at. This is despite if they win their championship games. There's Georgia, Michigan, and TCU. They're all pretty much in. Even if they lose their championship yeah. games, which TCU is currently losing in the first half, but it's still early. And then uh, Georgia plays at four, and Michigan plays at eight tonight. Um, any, despite I mean, if, there, there's always a real danger, but is there any like real danger about those teams losing? Uh, Michigan and Ohio State. Michigan... They're playing Purdue, so it could be tricky, but probably not. Uh, LSU has been up and down this year. Uh, they lost to a shitty Texas A&M team last week, which was a stunner. But there's probably not really any threat. The biggest threat is probably the game playing right now, uh, TCU and uh, Kansas State. Okay. But this is, you know, TCU is a second-half team too, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah. But the Purdue. Predictors, you know, it's a 90, 99 to 90% chance that despite a win or loss by the three, three top teams, they're going to be in. Yeah. Um, USC was actually fourth, and then last night they lost. Oh, okay. So now it's now it's the what the fifth team was starting the weekend was Ohio State. So – the irony is, Chris, Ohio State could lose the big game, not play in the conference championship game, and make the playoffs. Huh. But that's how the that's how the 
the season has kind of unfolded. You know, they lost one game to a top top three team. Currently the second team in the nation. So one could say that that's a really good loss. But <laughs> tell it to Ohio State. Yeah, tell it to Ohio State. Um, but they'll probably face Georgia if everything like kind of unfolds as it is, as everyone would predict, is it would be Michigan versus TCU and Georgia versus Ohio State. Um, unless the committee decides Alabama deserves to be there or USC deserves the bid regardless that they lost to Utah. Uh, that fourth spot is kind of interesting, and that leads me to the next point. Chris, the excitement for the future. And that's in 2024. They're expanding from four teams to 12 teams in this playoff, which is huge. Because remember, remember how long it took when they when they. I remember way back even before the BCS, the, the debacle that ended up being year to year. With uh, we're not we promised we would vote for whatever team ends up first, and then we don't in the coaches poll, and there was co champions because people couldn't agree, and there'll yeah. never be a playoff. There'll never be a playoff. It doesn't. Uh, the schedule doesn't support it. It's too many extra games for the for the kids, and and yep. and I, to go from that to now, it's like we're actually going from from four to twelve. Just getting four was a hell of a task, and now all of a sudden it's four to twelve. And I told you, it's like money is an amazing motivator, isn't it? It is. When they see what a cash cow each one of these, I mean, it, tens of millions of dollars they make off each one of these games. And Chris, you know, it, it's it's my, my only thing is like, what's the biggest concern with top tier college talent? coming from college to the NFL, especially that first year, is number of games played. Yep. Number of games played. So no matter how you look at it, either you're gonna be in the NFL and you're gonna and, and if you're you're a top tier team, and obviously every team is gonna get this because every team's not gonna make the playoffs. Only twelve. Still way better than four and it's gonna make for a very interesting playoff run down the stretch. But now you're getting a couple extra games for these kids who are going to go to the NFL and play that many games anyways during a regular season, or you're going to allow these kids that aren't going to the NFL and are going to leave and go join the real world and get a real job, the uh, the uh, uh, ability to play a few more games with their, uh, with their teammates, which is something I think any of them would want. So really, you make more money, the kids who need the experience get it, and the kids who aren't going further into football get a few extra games. Really, no word. I really don't, there's no loss. Nobody loses. Yeah, and even if in the in, in injury concern, Chris, any injuries can happen at any point. Any point, it could happen in the first. Was it TCU? Yeah, TCU lost their starting quarterback in the first game, off and on the field. Injuries can happen anytime. Right, right. But TCU lost their starting quarterback. First game of the season. Okay. First game. Their quarterback right now, Max Duggan, is got this team 12-0. and And due to some – now, he is a Heisman candidate. He probably wasn't high on the list, but due to some other stuff has happened, Blake Corm's injury, Stroud's performance, Caleb Williams' performance last, year with, last night with USC, um, Bryce Young's performance down the stretch – has kind of put him in a position where he could win the Heisman. So if you think of that, like any injury can happen at any point. Right. So if you're out there and you're saying, well, 12 teams, well, you're going to get these kids. Um, what is it? I think the math is like potentially four extra games 
if you start from the quarterfinals and go all the way up. Um, I think it's like four extra games. But you're not going to have a Christian McCaffrey uh, situation. If you don't remember, Christian McCaffrey played a conference championship game, didn't play the bowl game because it didn't mean anything. And he didn't want to waste his time and risk his draft stock, which I understand. Right. But now you're going to, if you think of it like this, Chris, you, in a matter of like two days, in, in my lifetime, we went from people voting on who the best team is to win the championship, which could be like two teams, to, okay, now we're going to have to decide between four teams, to, to now deciding you know, on the field between these 12 teams. When college football has the division, division, uh, division three, division three, division three, yes, division three, um, division one, I'm sorry, I get confused sometimes, but division one has 150, I think, 150, 130, 150 colleges, and you're gonna select four teams, yeah, but now we're gonna go with 12. And we're I, lucky I, to have four after a while. So it's right. like, it's, it tells you exactly how far things have gone in the last couple of years. Right. And and if you look at it like a college, and I know college basketball is not the same because, you know, football is a violent sport, the more physical, but they have, what is it, 68 now? Is it 68 now? Yeah, I think there's more. And there's a couple of player games. Yeah, I think it's 68. So, and I think that makes more sense because now you have a wider field. And you might still get the best team in the in the championship game to win, but it does give another team, as far as recruiting, prestige, accolades, draft position, it elevates that. <clears throat> and I like it because now you're giving it a playoff atmosphere. Like you said, extending more more games. Now you're really starting to mimic what the NFL is. And this translation from college to pros might be a little bit easier for these kids. Yeah. And that's and that's where I'll leave that. Excited about it. Is it and it's gonna and it's gonna start involving more schools and it's gonna give them opportunity to really state, hey, instead of being on the cusp, you know, we were on the cusp. We almost won our conference championship. We almost got in the playoffs. Imagine pitching that to a kid in a in a in a room and they're deciding between going to Georgia or going to I'll say Iowa and now I can pitch it well we were the 11th seeded team in the college football playoff uh-huh. we made it to the, the semifinals we didn't win it but look what we're building that's that's tangible proof that your your program is progressing in the right direction it, it really helps with recruiting and the fans want more football I mean, uh, these these college football games, in, in the stands are rabid. I mean, it almost looks like it's the closest thing in America you can compare to, like, a European soccer game is, is, is a college football atmosphere. They want more games. Mm-hmm. And you think about it, you have all, or, or late summer, most of fall, these games are happening. Then you get to the dead of winter where there's nothing else to do, <laughs> especially in, in the Northeast where it's so cold, or north in general, actually, I mean. Uh, and now, oh, we're going to take football away for a month, and we'll have it again around New Year's for a couple of weeks, and then it's going to be gone for a while. It's like, why not expand and let these 12 teams 
uh, fight it out and see who's the. I mean, could you imagine a team that's like twelfth ranked getting a hot streak and winning it all? I mean, it may not happen the first Absolutely. couple of years, but it's going to. If more more of these kids go into these schools, know that they can. They don't have to lead them to the top four teams to get in the playoffs. They can just lead to the top twelve. That's going to lead a lot more of these uh, prospects to go to different schools. It's not just going to be the same five or six gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, you know, a college in the middle of nowhere will get a, a star player because nobody had discovered him yet. Right. You're going to have a lot more competition. It's going to be a lot more fun. It's going to be a lot more enjoyable games. And you will get to a point one year, who knows how many years down the road, could be first, could be 50th, where that 11th or 12th ranked team wins it all. And that would have been unheard of 20 years ago. So it, I think it just makes the game more exciting, and it's going to bring more fans to it also. I'd be more interested in watching if it was a higher quality game. If I wasn't going to watch a bowl game and it was going to be 45 to nothing, like, that's fun if it's my team. But I really don't have a college team. I need to be intrigued. I usually check out the national title game because I love watching championship games. Uh, it's just because everything everyone's worked for all year is on the line in that one moment, and that's that's intriguing to me. But I would, you know, when I was a kid, I would turn on the college bowl games and watch them. But I never knew what was going on. I don't know the players. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't have near. Like you forgot more about college football already this morning than I know in general. So, like that's that tells you like <coughs> I'm probably the kind of fan they're trying to draw in. Yes. With something like this, because it's like, hey, you love football. Uh, here's more football, and here's more competitive football. So it's not going to be a month lull in between the two because now's about the time I actually start getting really interested. Oh, who's doing? Who's you know? Who's going to be a Heisman finalist? Who's going to be in the playoffs? Who's going to be doing this? Who's doing that? And then for a month, it just goes away, and I don't seek it out. I don't try looking for it. So if it's not presented to me in a forum I normally go to, right? I lose interest, and I usually forget until the afternoon the national title game's on, and then then I see it, you know, I see the game schedule, and I'm like, oh, I should probably check that out later. But I'm not paying attention to this other stuff in the lead-up. That's the kind of fan they probably want to get because there's there's a whole other part of the market there, and it's better for everybody. It's better for everyone. I don't don't see... There's not a losing side to this. You can say injuries, but to your point, injuries happen all the time. Injuries Absolutely. happen in pregame world. Injuries happen walking into stadiums. Injuries happen, guys fall asleep the wrong way sometimes, and they wake up and they don't feel they they they're, they pulled something or they strained something, and it, 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 that you know when you're playing a physical game like this, injuries can happen anytime. So you're not going to be like, oh well, I don't want to play an extra game, especially a meaningful game. Preseason meaningless. Like I said, McCaffrey, the bowl game didn't mean anything. Why was he got? Why was he going to risk millions of dollars? Nope. Didn't make any sense. He knew he was a top five pick. But now, if it was presented the same opportunity, and he's on the ninth-ranked team, maybe he's going to say, well, I really want this. I want this glory. I want to lead my team to this, because that's going to just boost my stock even more. Okay, I'm playing. And he plays, and the ninth-ranked team wins the championship. And led by Heisman candidate Christian McCaffrey, all of a sudden, that completely changes the draft stock and the entire landscape of everything. So, it's only going to be good. Only good things yeah. for this. The only thing I have to look at, and, and <clears throat> I'm not going to go into this because I kind of have—I I don't have a like a, a set decision on on my opinion of this—is and you kind of just brought it up really without even 
but that would be on purpose, Chris, is I understand what the Heisman is, but I'm wondering going forward, do does the Heisman committee and Heisman committee is comprised of former Heisman's old baseball and, writers. No. Okay. And so, well, it, it's, it's kind of a half and half. It's all the high, all the, all the Heisman trophy past winners that are with us and select uh, writers throughout the uh, United States. So it's not, it's not one or the other. It's a combination of both. Um, and I like that. I do too. It kind it's of creates bad. a balance. Um, I, and I like every former member getting a vote. I think that, that, that counts. That's, that's like, Hey, fantastic. welcome to the club. You belong here now. Like, right. Um, where I'm getting this, where I'm going with this, Chris is their voting, I believe ends, uh, tomorrow or sometime tonight. I'm pretty sure it's tomorrow, but sometime tonight, uh, there are people are already early voting, which is dumb because the conference championship beans are not over. But where I'm going with this is, Chris, if you look at it, should the Heisman voting be put off till the semifinals or the national championship? Because it never was that. It was always regular season, finish your conference championship games, and then name the Heisman, and it gets named the night of the national championship in uh, January. You know... To me, I've always looked at the Heisman as essentially the college football MVP award. Right. And I don't know an MVP award where the results aren't tallied after the regular season ends. You know what I mean? Like, now it's over. What happens in the playoffs doesn't doesn't necessarily matter mm-hmm. f- for this particular award. Uh, the stats don't matter. Um, I think... I think it's fine staying the way it is unless you want to make it an award for the best player. But then it's like, well, it is for the best player. But, like, uh, mm-hmm. trying to say this, like, it's not supposed to be the last team standing award. Right. You know, that's not, the, that's not the context of it. It's supposed to be essentially the college football MVP. So every other MVP is calculated based on purely regular season stats. So I think it's okay if it stays that way. Uh, I would assume... It would only make sense. They develop another award for like the playoffs MVP, the best player on those twelve teams that would contribute Correct. the most to helping his team win. That's a whole different thing. But I think if if the nature of it's going to remain NCAA Division One MVP or mm-hmm. essentially what it ends up being, it's fine to stay the way it is. Personally, and then and I, like I said, I'm still sitting on whether or not I, I which way I'd go with this, but. Wouldn't then a college football playoff MVP be valued higher than the Heisman? And if that is so, now you're bringing down the the value of the Heisman. And now it's just this ancient uh, trophy that, yeah, it's great to be a regular season one, but it's more important for the playoff. That's where I'm getting at. Uh, But I'm not like sitting on a decision yet because – I see both sides of it, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't want it to go anywhere because it is unique to college football. But I see your point where it shouldn't be the best team left standing. But we've also seen players win the Heisman, be in the national championship, and lose. So there's that. So 
I, I'm just bringing it up because it's something that I'm going to be thinking about over probably the next couple of years. Just to be like, yeah. where are they going to go with this? Is this something even in their mind? Or maybe the Heisman um, committee and and the people that run it don't have it in their head and they're just going to keep treating it like it's the same as it's been. And will it over time just kind of become devalued because they didn't think of this scenario where 12 teams are going to get in and this is, this is going to happen. And I, I, I'm just, that's what I'm looking at, Chris, because I don't want it to go away. I don't want it to go anywhere. I want that player to, you know, there are going to be three or four players, you know, as finalists and they're going to be in New York. And, you know, I, I don't really watch the whole ceremony because I don't need to watch the whole ceremony. I get what they do it for. Fantastic. But I don't need to watch it. Uh, but that last five minutes where they just, you know, you have them all there and sometimes it's uncertain. And all of a sudden you have that look of shock that you're winning this prestigious trophy and you're in this unique group of people that right. have won this award. And I just, I don't know if it's going to devalue over time because of the, the playoff system. Cause they're, they're clearly going to have an award for, sure. you know, uh, <clears throat> most valuable player, most outstanding player, whatever you want to call it um, for the playoffs. And, that's where I, I'm fighting with because I don't know, I don't know where it's going to go. You know, I, I totally. <clears throat> excuse me, one second. <clears throat> I completely understand what what you're saying there about devaluing, but I think, again, it's much like compare the NFL MVP to the Super Bowl MVP. Like, um, what's the likelihood of? And I don't know how many times this has happened. Whoever whoever wins the Heisman, it's usually because they're everybody there is on a team that is high ranked and competitive. Mm-hmm. You're not just going to get some lowly two win team from Central Idaho. And I'm just completely throwing everything out there. I have no idea. I'm not thinking of a team. I'm not you know whatever. Uh, you're not going to have that, and then be like. Oh well, this running back won the MVP because in this div- game against his Division Three team, he did this. No, it's it's going to be a big time player. It's going to be in a big time team. I'd be interested to see to look back on the last even like ten Heisman Trophy winners, and realistically look at the chances of would their team not be a top twelve team if you ranked them one through twelve? Um, because I mean, if so, if oh he was on a twenty fourth ranked team, this guy won the Heisman. That just doesn't really happen. So I don't I don't think that will ever cause it to diminish in value because it's the same point. Uh, the tenth ranked team that gets knocked out in the first round, that quarterback has a really good game, but his team still loses. He's not going to be in consideration for that playoffs MVP trophy. It's not going to be the team that loses. It's not going to be. It's always the team that wins. So it's always going to be. Oh, this player played really good for all three, four of these games, however they structure it, wild card, whatever it is. Um, this player really helped his team win. Not, oh, this guy got knocked out in the second round, but he did really good that first game. It's just not going to be that. So I don't I don't think there's any real threat of it being diminished. And to be honest, a lot of times, probably at least 50-50, guy who wins the Heisman is probably going to be on a team that wins the championship. That's the nature of college football. I mean, that's going to happen a lot of time, just the way the teams are structured and built. At least until... Maybe a new wave of, like I said, 
prospects are going to start going to their recruits are going to start going to different teams because now mm-hmm. it's a 12 team field uh, until that a cycle of that happens and the teams balance out a little bit uh, then I, I think it's still going to be I think you're worried about not, not necessarily worried but bring up the points because you don't want to see something you enjoy change mm-hmm. and I don't think that's going to be the case I think the Heisman is so steeped in tradition and, and nothing Nothing has to change as far as that goes just because of the playoff structure. I don't think it's going to end up hurting anything personally just because it's it's not how things are laid out. So, I, you know. Now, if they decide they're going to change it to include playoffs, that could ruin it. Okay. I think that could ruin it because now you're saying, okay, well, now these 12 teams have, by their own, you know, by their own winning and success, not their fault, but now they have players that are going to get more visibility and it's going to tip the scales. I, I think they keep it just the way it is regular season, okay. all the teams to pick your winner and then move on to the playoffs. Like, okay. Let me ask you one question real quick. <clears throat> As my voice cracks, like I'm 12 years old. <clears throat> uh, so I've heard a lot about this Marvin Harrison Jr. Kid. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Uh, I've seen some video of him. I watched a couple highlights. He looks absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, some people saying we're having an argument again, much like when Larry Fitzgerald was in college. Of you don't need three years with this kid; he's ready now. He could go in now. Uh, and I, I don't know, true or not, whatever. Uh, that's not. That's all. Guys sitting in a room wearing suits, making decisions because who never step onto a field. So I don't know. It's not. It's nothing I'm ever gonna have anything to do with. Right. But my question for you is, I know right now it looks to all the world like the Houston Houston Texans are going to have the first overall pick. Yes. Um, is it remotely possible? And I know they need a quarterback because I think – I thought Davis Mills might have been something. It appears now that they've already benched him down in Houston, so he may not be the guy they're going to try to build with going forward. So they're probably going to be in the market for a quarterback – do you see any realm of possibility where this kid might go first overall? Marvin Harrison Jr.? Yeah. No. Okay. Zero, I, zero I, I, percent. Yeah. And, and and Chris, it's a it's a it's a trick question because it's a zero percent chance because uh I believe he's a true freshman. No, no, I just meant if he if he were to if he, if he were able oh, to. Oh, if he was if, if he was he able, to. able. I know he's not, but I mean if he was able to because the way people like people are talking about I, I haven't heard a wide receiver hyped up this way since Calvin Johnson or Larry Fitzgerald. I mean they are talking this okay. kid up like he is just going to go to Canton. And, and and he looks amazing. I'm not knocking him at all. I'm just saying as as a college football layman and, and so much comes into uh, um so much comes into account when deciding who you're going to take in a draft. You know, we need a quarterback. We need a defensive player. We yep. have, the, you know, this player is the best athlete on the field, but this is the best of this position. We really need this position. You know, people got on Patriots a lot about the Cole Strange pick late in the first round, and mm-hmm. for all of their offensive flaws this year, Strange has been pretty good for a rookie uh, with a, with a pretty right. makeshift line around him. Uh, so, I mean, but that's what they needed, and that's what they went for. They didn't want to trade down for the third straight pick and just take somebody else. They wanted to take or the third straight year. They wanted to I don't know, it wouldn't be the third year. They took Mac. Anyways, um 
it's it's just it's it's always interesting to me because you're talking about a you know if he's that much of a game changer, hey, maybe we can go get a a. You'd have to assume there could be some relatively decent quarterbacks in the open market. Derek Carr could be in the open market. Uh, you could see a role to Ryan Tannehill is available if they decide if the Titans decide to move on and go with somebody else. Uh, the Willis kid they picked up in the draft last year. You could see some quarterbacks. You could see Houston could be, be like, hey, we'll we'll take Derek Carr for yeah. a year or two mm-hmm. while we develop our defense and try to get an offensive rhythm going. Maybe he ends up being better mm-hmm. than we think he will be, or he has been, and turns into something, or he doesn't. We move on. But and we mm-hmm. can take this kid. We can give him this weapon, and we can try to develop our team from there because he's, he's that good. Do you think there'd be a world where they would just say, does he have the talent to justify it if the right team was at number one? This is what I would say, Chris. All right. If you're deciding between – so realistically right now we're looking at as much as he bombed in the, in the game um, and how much as Bryce Young kind of has faltered at the end of the season a little bit, and that's a little bit on the injury because he's – his frame. He's not a big guy. Um you have to decide on if we're including Marvin Harrison Jr. into this equation. You have to decide on do you want CJ Stroud, who is more of the pocket passer, really doesn't want to run, but is a refined pocket passer who can run but doesn't want to, who can drop dimes, and if if everything is clean and nice, and he has a good running game, good good tools on the on this on the uh, outside he can put up video game numbers or do you want Bryce young who has a little bit more mobile wants to get out in space and make plays or draft Marvin Harrison jr. Who could be this generational talent at wide receiver, but you don't have someone to throw in the ball. That could be a problem. Yeah. And the only thing I would say is if you're Houston and if you're not committed to Davis Mills, and you want to move on from him. It's it's and you want, and, and if Marvin Harrison was there and be like, okay, we're going to take Marvin Harrison. We then have to decide, okay, a do we make a trade and utilize assets to get someone like Derek Carr or Aaron Rodgers or a veteran of some playoff ilk that can can perform in this division or with the 32nd pick in the draft because you know you got the first pick back you're gonna have the 32nd and maybe move up a slot or two in back into the first round and back end with a late first round pick at quarterback a young quarterback that can build with marvin harrison jr and you still have brandon cooks and you have damon pierce maybe you start building something there it's all about what they're going to commit to at quarterback. They could, yeah. they could like Davis Mills still, and it's just not working out because there's not enough assets on the team. And maybe they drop, and maybe they trade down to get more assets because they want to build out more of the team. Yeah, fair enough. It, it's just where they're going to commit to. And if I'm the Texans, I look at CJ Stroud and say, we're going to need to give him a little bit more weapons. We want someone to build with him. Because we just don't want to throw him out there with with just Brandon Cooks. We Brandon Cooks a nice player. 
but he's not a number one. He's almost turned into a number three at this point. And Damon Pierce is not enough. It's just not enough. So you have to make that decision because think of where, where Stroud's coming from. He's coming from same with Bryce Young. And unfortunately, we're seeing the same thing with uh, Mac Jones. You're coming from a, a system where there's an offensive standard that they're living by. And they're expecting certain certain players to play up to a certain level because that's where that's what level they're on. And if CJ Stroud is dropping these dimes, because if you saw that pass where CJ Stroud dropped it right into the bucket of Marvin Harrison Jr. into the end zone, like that play, I looked at that, I'm like, shit, that's gonna be all, if that's gonna be all day, we're in trouble. Which it didn't turn out to be, but Harrison has that skill. And CJ Stroud has that skill. Like if you, if either one of those two players skill was not at that level, that play does not happen. And if you want to go out, if you want to go back and look at it, it was in the first quarter of the game. I think it was in the first quarter of the game. They did a zero blitz. It was man coverage. DJ Turner got beat at a cornerback position and CJ Stroud just dropped it right in his, right in his basket. So this kid is going to be good. I think he's got to have. Uh, I think he's. I think he's a true freshman. So we're talking like, I think, another two years, another yeah, another two years of college. But if he was there, Chris, if I'm a team that has a quarterback, I'm pick up the phone to the Texans. What do you want? Yeah, let me, Don't let me tell- ask you. Let me ask you this: If he stays injury free and continues to progress at his current, <clears throat> excuse me, current rate. Any chance he's not at least a top three pick when his time comes? Uh, I would ch- check, check, yeah. check, check, yeah. check, okay. check. He'll he'll get Blindikoff awards as the best wide receiver in college football. <clears throat> the chance of him getting the Heisman Trophy is tough because if you're if you're in that room for Heisman, man, your quarterback's going to be there too, and that's a tough yeah. that's yeah. that's a tough tail to climb. <clears throat> But he's he's gonna he's top three, and if a team if there's no standout quarterback in that draft, a team might try to just put some pieces together, go up and get him, and just say, "We got our quarterback already. We got him last year, or he's a veteran. We're getting our veteran quarterback, a hell of a wide receiver, and we're just gonna go out and win it because this kid this kid is phenomenal, and in the right system, watch out." All right, I kind of, I, I kind of <clears throat> figured that might be the answer. I want to see if I was on the, if I was on the right track there, because I'm like I said, I'm not a college football aficionado. So, all right, let's move on to baseball very shortly. We're gonna do a little bit, a little bit deeper on this. We went longer on that first topic than we had planned, uh, which is fine because it was really good. Um, <clears throat> the uh, baseball hot stove is starting to heat up a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, earlier in the week, had a uh, former all-star first baseman for the White Sox decide to move his talents to Houston because they need more offensive help. Uh, Jose Abreu signed with three years, $58.5 million, which is, I mean, <laughs> Abreu for years in a relatively weak lineup in Chicago hit like a stud. And now he has an actual talented lineup around him, uh, and a, a, a in place championship team. Uh, it's it's, 
I mean, this is just as close to, to stealing and not signs right, players uh, as, as Houston could get. Um, so you, you got to wonder if you're one of the other uh, 27 teams or 29 teams, um, what the hell your front office is thinking by not signing this guy for an average annual salary of under under 20. Uh, it, right. it, it's, it's mind-boggling because this is still a guy who can put up 40 home runs and 100 RBIs in, in a bad lineup, and he's going to go to a really good lineup now. So that is a steal to me. Uh, even if he ends up doing half what he did in Chicago, this, that price point, he's still a steal. Uh, and then the big one yesterday, um, all the world, uh, Steve Cohen, the new Mets owner, relatively new still, made it sound like uh, he was going to walk into the offseason with a blank check. Uh, blank checks for everybody. Everybody wanted, they were you know going to go after this guy and that guy. This team was coming back and they were going to be competitive and they are going to keep all these guys. And they signed Scherzer last year to a big money contract, the highest annual value of any contract at this point in baseball history. And um, so naturally, Jacob DeGrom, who went healthy, has to be considered at least top three pitcher in the game. Uh, naturally, he ends up with the Rangers on a five-year, $185 million deal. The second highest average annual value uh, for at least a pitcher. I don't know if it's player overall, but at least a pitcher. And... Apparently the Mets were either not in on this. I mean, they were in on it. They offered him apparently a three, three for one twenty. He wanted longer term. Uh, at thirty four years old, um, and all the reason we're really bringing this up is because Ben and I have very different takes usually on how long a guy signed for based on how old they are, how much you're going to get. Uh, so I was curious what he would think of this. Apparently, there's feelings within the. Mets organization that, okay, yeah, we would have loved to have had him, but now we don't have to wonder if he made the right decision as far as financially with the contract size. Uh, and there's others that are like, how did we not make this guy a final offer? Because apparently they made him an offer of three for 120 the day before or earlier yesterday. And then they didn't hear anything from him until right before he signed with the Rangers. His people informed him he was signing with the Rangers and he would not be coming back to New York for the play for the Mets. And... uh how does this happen? You have an owner who's sitting there saying, "We're gonna, we're gonna pay you. We're gonna give you the money." So clearly, uh, there must have been a little frustration there for Mister Degrom about getting to this point where he was actually a free agent and could go anywhere else. When he's like, "Look how good I've been for you when I'm on the field." Right. You gave Max Scherzer, who's far older than me, a big average annual value contract for three years last year. He barely played at all last year. No, right. I mean not barely, but he was injured a good part of it. And now I'm in a position where I could even talk to other teams. Like, how do you not value me more? And another team like the Rangers, who desperately, I mean, they made, was it Corey Seager they signed last year or Kyle Seager? They signed one of them last year to a big contract in the offseason. Uh, Corey Seager. Corey. Uh, and uh, yeah, Kyle, that's right. Kyle's with the Mariners, I believe. I thought he retired. Oh, he may have. I know he was with the Mariners. Um, you know, you have that. And then uh, just... We make a splash in the rotation, so this guy's available. So let's let's pay him. And I'm curious. I have my opinions. I said on the contract and the length and the size of it. Uh, well, the size of it. I mean, it's all monopoly money. Doesn't really matter. We all we all knew when you when it was the Grom, it was going to be a big average annual number. Uh, what do you think of the contract overall? 
Um, I'm curious, based on the length and age of DeGrom, what you think of it. Uh, his injury history plays a big factor. Actually, his injury history plays a bigger factor than his age at 35 years old. If he's the if he is anchoring the rotation, uh, strap in Texas Rangers fans because I don't think it's going to work out well for you. I think he may give them one solid season and then outstanding partial seasons. And at some point, it's just going to be, yeah, his his money is dead dead to us because he's just injured. So I'm saying first year, he may be good and adjust to the park, the heat, because that's a big factor there in Texas. And then after that, it's just going to be, yeah, he'll have a half a season or a third of a season where he's just sensational, but then he's going to get injured and it's not going to work out well for them. That's just my prediction because a injury history and B that injury history just is going to be um, greater because he's 35 years old and just going to get older. Look, I, I understand what Justin Verlander is doing. That's great. He also doesn't really have an injury history. He's an anomaly though. Right. I mean, an, his injury, I think last year was he tore his ACL or something, wasn't it? Like it was maybe. something non-pitching related and, right. and it was odd. It was like nothing to do with his actual arm. So it, it, it just, and from the Mets side, if I'm the Mets, whether a fan front office, I look at this and say, okay, we made him an offer. We made him an offer that we feel was fair so that way we can also address other needs. Um, but we have to factor in the fact that he is injury prone. He is up there in age and we have Max Scherzer. Max is starting to get up there in age as well. So we can't rely. We can't starting. have to. <laughs> All right. He's already there. When the season starts. So I, I'm looking at this, Chris, and I'm like, we need an anchor of the rotation. Max maybe can give us one more year. Maybe, but Jacob just can't do it. He cannot anchor the rotation. He can't be the guy. We need to go out there and get the guy. And if we're not going to get the guy in the rotation, then we got to build it elsewhere. So maybe they throw that money at other uh, position players or they build out the bullpen a little bit more. But was it undervalued? Probably. The offer was probably undervalued in DeGrom's eyes. And he made a decision. And he said, you know what? They're probably not going to count under the offer because of what the initial offer was. So he just said, screw it. I'm going to sign it. Or Texas says, if you leave, the offer's off the table. Like, it could be one of those scenarios. It's it's not unheard of for a team to just say, it, the, the offer is right here. If you walk out the door, the offer is no longer right here. So it, it, it could be any one of those situations. I just, as a front office, I, I would – I would have done what the Mets done. Just offer him a respectable contract that doesn't put us in a deep hole for any long period of time. And now they can pivot in another direction and kind of move on to another step in, in trying to build this championship team that the owner seems like he's committed to doing. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I completely, I, I, first of all, we often disagree on some of these. Um, I don't think signing somebody who's in their early 30s without injury history is the same as signing somebody in their mid to late 30s with injury history. Uh, I agree with you as far as I don't, there's no, there's no, I don't think there's a world where Jacob DeGrom just plays healthy for the next five years and he's on the field every start like clockwork. Right. Um, you know, the, the reason you're able to give a guy like Scherzer the kind of money they're able to give him and justify at his age. And by the way, I was wrong. He's not going to be 40 when the season starts. He'll be, he'll be 38. Uh, four years older than than uh, DeGrom. But it's a 3,000 strikeout guy, two, over 200 career wins. I mean, this is a guy who's been on the field and has been relatively healthy the entire time, and he's been productive whenever he's on the, on the mound. So... To give him a short contract like that, to give an older guy a short contract like that, I think it's great for the Mets because even if even if Scherzer goes out this year and he just fallen off completely, and doesn't have it, um, they owe him for another year. It's not a Bobby Bonilla situation where they're they're celebrating Bobby Bonilla Day for the next twenty five mm-hmm. years because he deferred it. Um, my only thing I would say is, is, as much as it doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint, I think we've reached a point in baseball where teams are just they know when a free agent comes in who has injury history is a little bit older, they're very much aware that paying for, for, for dead innings, I guess I'll call it, is just part of it. It's just how it goes. Like, I, if I would have been far more comfortable with a three-year contract at, your, at, um, at the Grom's age with his injury history than five. Five isn't as long as it's not, like I said, crazy amount deferred constantly, even five's not that bad. If you get two solid years out of him and then he kind of shuffles around a little bit or he's injured one of those seasons, it's like, okay, by the time that comes around, salary's going to be inflated even more. Uh, it's, 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 if they gave him a seven, eight year deal into his 40s, obviously he's not making that. I'd say that's crazy five-year deal so he it ends when he's 39 years old um fine i guess uh and if you're the mets yeah i mean the owner is handsomely rich however uh even those kind of people have a limit to how many you know 300 million dollar contracts they can throw out there or you know the average annual value of 30 plus million they can throw out there and they're going to have to pay for some of these other guys coming up. They're going to have to pay for Pete Alonso. He's going to cost them a lot of money. Whether he hits 50 home runs that year or not, he's going to cost them. And they're going to have to pay for some of these other dudes that are coming up. And they already have a couple of big-name contracts on on the roster. So it's like, I don't think there's anything wrong either with offering a guy who's that age, who's had some injury problems, what you think you can reasonably afford and what you value them at. That's what the Patriots do. If a guy leaves in free agency, they'll make him an offer. Unless it's something. I don't think they made J.C. Jackson an offer last year. Because they knew how much he was going to want annually. And they knew they didn't have the money to pay him. And, you know, uh, it happens sometimes. Sometimes you will get an offer. Hey, we'll give you we'll give you this much. You know, you're, you know the system. We know what you can do. But it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um you know, plays out long term, but uh, I don't. I understand it from the Rangers' standpoint, uh, but um, 
Uh, yeah, he could go out and win a Cy Young back-to-back years, or he could need Tommy John before spring training ends. Like, right. it's such a crapshoot, and with that much money, it's like, I get it, but, man, you are it is it is a real risk, because I don't think there's any opt-outs. I think that's just a guaranteed contract, and many he signs it, he's there five years for that amount. So if he blows out his shoulder tomorrow, <laughs> he still gets that 185. Well, good for him, I guess, but... All right, we ran definitely ran longer than we planned on. Uh, so we were going to talk about the Patriots a little bit. Um, and whatever they, whatever the 11 people attempting to, you know, imper- uh, impersonate an offense Thursday were doing on the field. Uh, that was brutal. This offense seems to get worse and worse uh, every week. Um, I, I, for one, think it's a bad game plan because we know personnel is in place where this can be a competitive offense. Look, they're not going to be the Kansas City Chiefs. They're not going to be uh, explosive. It's not going to be um, the Stefan Diggs and, and Josh Allen connection. We're not saying that. But Kendrick Bourne really, really came on strong last year and right. said all the right things and acted like you know he, he was all in on the Patriot way, and he has been barely used. Uh, Devontae Parker... Whenever he has been asked to do anything, has made some of the most spectacular catches I can remember seeing in years from anybody in a Patriots uniform, maybe since Randy Moss, to be honest with you. The guy has gone up and gotten so many of Mac Jones's, you know, overthrows or or just, you know, just throw him up. Just Right. Just throw it up and see if he can come down with it. And he does more often than not. The guy's been incredible. Uh Nelson Aguilar has had some injury issues. He's been okay. He's not a number one, but in this offense, it's kind of a bunch of number twos and threes, honestly. Jacoby Myers, we know what Jacoby can do. We got two tight ends who Hunter Henry, when he's called upon, when the game plan's right, can be a very suitable tight end. Johnu Smith seems to be more of a blocker. I don't know if that's really working out the way I hoped it would. Uh, but to be honest, I think that's probably why they signed two big tight ends because Belichick loves using the tight ends in the offense, and he wanted mm-hmm. to make sure he got the guy he could use going forward. Then there's Mac, who surprised everyone last year and looked to all the world in that Baltimore game before he got hurt. Like he was he was diving around. He was running. He was doing what he needed to do. He was being athletic. Is mm-hmm. he uh, Lamar Jackson? Absolutely not. No confusion there. But the dude can do it when he needs to, and he can move around the pocket. Um it seems that the Patriots coaching staff, whoever's in what position, I have no idea. Is just bound and determined to make this the most boring, just unwatchable style of offense they possibly can. I do not understand it. Every time it looks like they're starting to open things up again, it's check down, check down, check down, check down, check down. The Bills have a very good defense. Very good. It's not elite. That team's competitive because the offense is also very good. And, uh... You know, this is a, this is a Bills team that, you know, they're showing uh, post-snap pictures of everybody in the secondary, and they're like, oh, all the receivers are covered because they're running ridiculous routes. You have one guy for a check down for a screen, which Mac must have thrown to 20 times that game, and he got a, and he got three guys running 30 yards downfield. Where, where are the Danny Amendolas? Where are the Wes Welkers? And I don't mean the people themselves. I mean, wh- where are these people running these routes? 
You have a Kendrick Bourne who can run around. You you have that kid the other day. Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, Jones. Um, Marcus Jones. Marcus Jones. I want to go Marvin. Marcus Jones. My God, was he fast? He got that screen pass and he was gone. He oh. ran through like five defenders. Obviously, you can't expect that every player every game. But if you if you add that in to this team, that is speed. We kept saying this offense and defense just looked slow last year. It just looked slow. We have speed on offense. That's not a problem. It's game plan. And whether you are high on Mac Jones or not, uh, whether you feel it's his fault or not, at the end of the day, it's going to be the same result if they don't pick it up. He's going to get blamed for it, and they're going to move on from him. And go to somebody else that isn't going to make a difference because it's going to be game plan. Like, maybe, and I'm not blaming Belichick. I, look, I love Belichick. And everything is done for this team. I will be with him until he decides to retire. I'm not going to turn my back on that dude. But some of these, uh, some of these assistants and some of these um, guys like Patricia and Joe Judge, and you know they recycled, uh, they recycled Josh McDaniels last time when he got fired from because mm-hmm. he's a crappy head coach and he got fired from Denver. Mm-hmm. And now you know Vegas took him, and I don't think he's long for Vegas. So I'm sure Belichick will take him back again whenever he's done. Let's stop recycling coordinators. Let's bring some new people in. Let's bring in some fresh blood, some fresh faces, some some new like it's fine to have the Belichick mentality, but let's bring in a little bit of excitement because you have the players right now. And you have a good team. This is not a terrible team. This team is six and six. They've looked good, they've looked bad. They're a work in progress. They're trying to figure out who they are. But the way to do that is not, not consistently hampering Mac Jones. Is he gonna be Patrick Mahomes? No. But right now, I mean, this kid's looking like if they took him out of the game tomorrow and they put him mm-hmm. on the bench and they put Bailey Zappi in, 90% of New England fans wouldn't care and Jones could go somewhere else next year and nobody would give a shit. And that's a shame because I think he is really talented and I think he can run this offense. And all the players love him. Love him. See how hard he works, how easy he is to deal with and work with and talk to and, and, and learn with. You have everything in place. You have it in place. And you refuse to cultivate it because you need to still run that check down receiving running back thing like you had when Kevin Falk, uh, or James White, and Tom Brady were here. And right. uh, it, it's not the same. And this this team, unless they, unless they realize they have to change through the times a little bit, uh, this is going to be what they are for the foreseeable future. What do they do good, Chris, on offense? They run the ball well. Well, uh, it's not it's not an elite running game, but it's a good running game. How many times has Ramon J gone over a hundred yards? Uh, once, yeah. Detroit. That's it. That's it. It's the only time he went over 100 yards. They're they're just usually by now. The Patriots defense um, solidifies what they do well. You know they they understand what they do well. They don't try to do stuff that you know. As we know, they go into each play uh, each game with a different kind of game plan. They try to do different things, but generally on on defense. By now they know what they they are. They know their identity, and they do 
what they do well, well, and they don't do stuff that they don't do well. And it's kind of the same thing on offense. They generally by now know what they do well, and they don't really do stuff that is is not indicative of what their skill set is. Mm-hmm. Right now, I don't think they do anything well. Like, they are okay at running the ball, but they're also not really committed to running the ball. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson. You see him, Chris. You see the ability. The catching. The running. Doesn't do it enough, in my opinion. And I think this is an offensive structure problem and a running, uh, not a running game, but the scheme and how they call the plays is the problem. They just... Oh, yeah, totally. It's Patricia. He doesn't doesn't know how to... Look, he can script plays in the first... For the first drive or first two drives. But once you get past that, Chris, you now have to kind of figure out, okay, what are they doing to change their defense to to counter what I'm doing on offense? Mm -hmm. And what am I going to do to counter what they're countering? And now he gets out of rhythm and he doesn't know what he's doing and he runs these weird – what was it? It was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, they ran a reverse uh, inside the 20 to the short side of the field and it just like – when they've been, when they've been moving the ball, that's that's the thing too. Is right. when they're moving the ball, all of a sudden they get cute, and they turn it over. They kill the momentum. I it, mean, it's, it's it's just the way the scheme is, and you can tell me till you're blue in the face that oh, it's the same scheme they've been running since you know 2022, 2020, uh, 2002 with uh, Charlie Weiss. That's great, but you don't have Charlie Weiss, and as for what you want to say about Josh McDaniels, at least he knew how to, even even after Tom, with uh, Mac Jones a little bit, at least he knew how to, to go in the rhythm of the game. He, he, he may have not been the most creative individual, and uh, he kind of was stuck in his ways a little bit, but he knew the rhythm of the game, certain spots to pick your, to kind of do your gadget plays, certain spots is where you do this and that, and there's just no rhythm to the offense now. Even Bill O'Brien, for the short period he was there, he had kind of a way to run the offense. Yeah. You have a defensive coordinator and a special teams coach running the offense. Matt Patricia's the play caller, and uh, what's his name? Joe Judge is the quarterbacks coach senior offensive specialist whatever the whatever the fuck his title is i don't know but it's bill trying to get his his guys i think this is what it is he's trying to get his guys in a better position for their next job offer to be more successful because bill what does bill do if he loses an offensive coordinator he doesn't name an offensive coordinator he lets somebody kind of grow, and he takes more of a, a control of the offensive side of the ball right? to see until someone comes along, i.e. Josh McDaniels. And then when he loses a defensive coordinator, what does he do? He kind of takes more of control of the defense until he finds somebody 
Brian Flores would have been the guy for many years, but he got his chance. Great for him, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't name someone until someone becomes, you know, hey, this is the guy. Matt Patricia was like, it was like one or two years. Uh, he was the caller, but he didn't get the title. And then after him, it was Brian Flores. Never got the title, but for, what was it, a year or two, he was the de, de facto defensive coordinator. Yep. Led him to a Super Bowl, had this defense, which was one of the best defenses we've ever seen. Great schemes. That's part Bill Belichick, but that's part Brian Flores. Yep. We don't have that right now. We have two guys who have been Bill's guys for many, 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 many years. And then all of a sudden, oh, let's thrust them into the offensive scheme and see if they can figure that out. And if they can figure that out, ooh, that'll make their resume really look good. When they hire Patricia initially, I think it was last year with McDaniel still, he was kind of this senior advisor. And there was a thought he was going to take over for Ernie Adams. If you don't know Ernie Adams, he was the guy up in the booth and he'd be in Bill's ear whenever there was a review needed because the guy was just, hey, review that call. Oh, don't review that call. And Bill, to, to, to a T, would honor what uh, Ernie Adams did. And I thought that was going to be Matt Patricia. You know, he was going to be that sky, eye in the sky, kind of reviewing things on the fly. Wow. I didn't think this was going to happen. I didn't think this, this garbage was going to happen where – He's now the offensive coordinator, essentially. I don't like it. No. I don't like it, Chris. That's that's good. Well, first of all, uh, I think you know, I, I agree. This this team just it, it it there's no direction. Right. I mean, look at look at look at this past weekend's Buffalo. It was a huge game. All they talked about was uh, having Buffalo, you know, beat them in that that the first game last year with just a terrible weather where they ran all over them and yeah, cool, okay, but I mean, we kind of realized it was a shootout between Josh Allen and Mac Jones. Um, although I am not putting Josh Allen in the same stratosphere as I have been, only because I'm getting really tired of Buffalo acting like they've actually done anything yet. They constantly whether it be the media or whether it be the players. I mean, they act like they're five-time Super Bowl champions. They haven't done anything yet when it mattered, haven't even made it to a Super Bowl, and they're acting like they've already won things for like the third straight year. That's getting old, and it's going to get older your fans too because you're not going into Kansas City and beating them again. Not in the playoffs. Not not the way Mahomes is going right now. Mahomes is the runaway MVP winner. You had it pegged earlier in the year. I went with somebody else again trying to, trying to pick somebody different because it got – Ho-hum, old hat picking Mahomes, but the guy is just so good. It doesn't matter who he's throwing to. Nope. Uh, you know, he has Kelsey. Yeah, Kelsey's a stud. Anyone can throw to Kelsey. But some of these other guys, you know, sometimes when you try to compare things, like was it Mahomes or was it Tyreek Hill, sometimes both players are just really, really good, and it's both of them working together that make it special. Both those guys have proven it wasn't just the other guy that can get it done. Um. <clears throat> You gotta wonder it with Josh Allen, and this isn't a knock, by the way. I'm not saying he's he's garbage. I'm not saying I'm not saying he's not good. He's not a top tier quarterback. But if Josh Allen doesn't have Stephon Diggs, uh, if Josh Allen doesn't have the offensive line, eh, I don't know if it's good or if he's just mobile. I really it's really hard to tell. Uh, but I mean, if he doesn't have all the pieces around him, um, 
I don't think he's a guy who can just pull it out of his ass on his own talent. I think he's a guy who needs talent around him. Uh, and that's, again, that's not a condemning thing. That's just, I, I don't, you, you don't struggle in the games he struggled in if you are absolutely an elite top-tier quarterback. We said the same thing about when he picked our MVPs. You said somebody was saying the same about Justin Herbert. He keeps getting credit for what he did in his rookie season, coming in on no notice and doing mm-hmm. the job he did and just running with the job. But now he has to progress. Now he has to move past that. That novelty's worn off. The novelty of, of, of Allen just being at this level and acting like he's accomplished something when he hasn't even won an MVP award, it, it's getting really irritating. It's getting hard to watch. And that's why people, that's why uh, uh, two things can really cause you to go from America's sweethearts to we don't want to see you win anymore really quick. Too much success, i.e. Tom Brady, or perceive success in your own mind without actual producing on the field. And that's what's happening to Josh Allen and the Bills right now. Yeah, the Bills fans are loving it until mid-January when they get eliminated from the playoffs. And I don't think this is a guy right now who, unless circumstances fall 100% perfectly, because we've seen Stephon Diggs disappear in the last two AFC Championship games also. He didn't, or well, two years ago it wasn't the AFC. I don't know. Either way, we've seen him disappear too. And... You know, one or two catches for, what, 15, 16 yards? And Allen doesn't go out. I mean, Allen will have good games. He had a great game against uh, the Chiefs last year in the playoffs, and they didn't win. But that goes back to the whole team thing. It just doesn't... You have to do it at some point. You can't just be the best team on paper... And I have touted this team, despite being a division rival of my team, I've touted this team for three years mm-hmm. now saying they are the team to beat. They're going to be dangerous. And what was it? Uh, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, well, last year, when they were in the middle of their elite run, they got beat by Jacksonville, didn't even score a touchdown in that game. Uh, um, they've lost some pretty winnable games this year. They got beat by the Jets, who at that point still had Zach Wilson in the game. And... This is, again, why matchups are so weird. Patriots beat the Jets twice pretty handily. And then the Jets beat the Bills with the same quarterback that the Patriots destroyed. And now they they the Patriots really beat down Detroit when they were the hottest offense in the league. Right. And the Bills go in on Thanksgiving Day and barely escape a Detroit team. Right. They've been playing pretty poorly at that point. And it's like... You can't continue to say how elite you are and how you're this and you're the favorite and then not just stomp these teams out. Yes, the Patriots lost to the Bills. The Bills are the better team. And the Bills, honestly, they just picked them apart. They just did little dink and dunk plays. They controlled the clock. They scored touchdowns when they got in the red zone, and they performed on defense. Patriots' defense started out really well, like they always do, and they struggled. The same, for the same reason they've struggled the entirety of the season when they've struggled, because the offense goes three and out nine straight times. Because there's no creativity on offense. Patriots go out there on the first drive. All they talked about was how they had to make Buffalo punt. They had to the Buffalo off the field because the Bills had just controlled the clock. Controlled the clock. Didn't have to punt the last two times they played. Scored at will, seemingly. And the Patriots go down, and they allow a field goal, and they go right down, and they score a touchdown. And it's like, this is going to be a game. This is going to be fun. All right, cool. And I was feeling really good about it. And then 
you know, the Bills come down and they score next time. You know, what are you going to do? Bills offense is really solid. And then the Patriots just go three and out and three and out and three and out. And they show nothing and they don't progress and they don't grow and they don't make adjustments. It's the same. We're down by two touchdowns with eight minutes left. Let's run the ball for two yards and then not rush back to the line of scrimmage. There's no structure. It's it's absurd. Um, <clears throat> and right now, I don't feel they're a playoff team. The only saving grace is that defense is playing really well, and they are beating bad teams. They're not lo- they're beating bad teams. Yeah, the Bears beat them, and the Bears only have a couple of wins. But Justin Fields continued to play hot and really came out of nowhere in a game against the Patriots, and you're going to lose those games sometimes. For the most part, they're beating bad teams, which is a, some, a step in the right direction. And I, I praise the defense for that, by the way, turnovers and field position and stuff like that. Special teams has been as bad as I can remember it being, with the exception of Marcus Jones, who's been a nice surprise. Special teams has made more stupid penalties in, to this point in the season than I can remember any season in the past. They've just they've, they've cost them games at some point. I mean, running into the punter last week against uh, against the Vikings, the guy didn't even have to run in. He, he could have held up. He could have, yeah, he only hit his foot, but that's the nature of the rule. And the Vikings went right down the field and scored, and that was the difference yep. in the game. Yep. It was the same thing in Baltimore. Baltimore looked like they had them. They had the lead late against Baltimore, and then couldn't make a stop. Couldn't the offense just stop? It's like they get to a certain point, and they're like, you know what? We're just going to let defense take it, and we're done. We're good. So, my question to you, because we've won way long, mm-hmm. starting next season, I don't have any doubt Belichick will be there. Right? He's not. Kraft does not want to go down that road of having to find a new coach and, and him and Bill are close. And I, I'm not worried about that. 2023, mm-hmm. start of the season next August, under center, is Mac Jones a starting quarterback for the Patriots? Uh, yes. I think so, too. I think they're going to give him a third year because I don't blame him for this. I nope. think he has the I think he has the talent to make this offense work. You just need more creativity. He's shown he can make the throws. He's shown mm-hmm. he has the heart. He's shown mm-hmm. he has the drive and the hustle. Mm-hmm. The players love him. The, the, the people on the field, the personnel is actually not the problem. It's uh, the coaching staff. They have they have the weapons to build a suitable offense. And the exciting thing is if they if they play this right, they have a ton of cap space. Yes. Coming up. So they can lock down some of these guys who they're going to need to keep for the future. And they can go out and get a couple of decent free agents. Uh, you got guys like Judon, who I hope plays out his contract here because that guy's been a monster. He's he's fantastic. Right. Duggar, um, the Jones kid, the rookie corner, has looked really good at times. He struggled a little bit recently, but started off looking really good. He looks really promising. This defense looks solid. It looks like it's only going to get better. But this offense needs help. This is where I'm at. Um, I'll... I'll, I'll be brief on the Patriots, and then I'm gonna, I am want to touch on the, the Buffalo Bills, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. For the Patriots, this is what I think they need to do, all right? And this is all predicated on them not making the playoffs because that's where – that's the road I think we're going down, Chris, is they're not going to make the playoffs. Yeah, looks that way. Seven teams, and they're not going to make the playoffs, all right? I think not making the playoffs will will put a fire into Kraft 
to kind of push Bill to say, offensively, what are we doing? Offensively, what are we doing? Because this did not work. It didn't. It didn't work. Your quarterback is yelling to to throw the ball because we can't run it. That was on live TV. And I, I'll be honest, zero problem with it because – you're not doing anything. You can't run the ball. You can't pass the ball. Either one consistently. And again, I am going to go back to it is the scheme. It is the rhythm of the game. It is seeing what the defense is giving you and knowing what to do and what not to do. It happened. I don't mean to bring this back up. It happened last weekend, uh, Ohio State, Michigan, where Ohio State was running the ball. They were having formations that were successful. And the coach got it in his head and said, uh, I want to win this way. If it ain't broke, don't fix. Mm-hmm. That ain't the problem right now with the Patriots. The problem with the Patriots is it's broke and they can't fix it. Yeah. And they have no offensive mind in that organization to really fix it. Cause you can't tell, you can't have bill be the de facto offensive coordinator running the offense He's had minds around him offensively to help when that has happened. But the reality is he also had, mind you, the greatest quarterback of all time. That kind of solves some problems. Yeah. So it's essentially having another head coach on the field that can make decisions. Yes. Yeah. So not making the playoffs should, should convince Bill Belichick to be like, he thought they were making progress last year, and now he installed these two guys. Oh, this'll this'll further us along and it will build our our you know, because I lost a lot of people. He lost people to uh the Las Vegas Raiders, uh with Josh McDaniels and him taking other coaches. Yep. He's lost people to Texas, uh Houston Texans, when they hired um the GM, what's his name? Can't think of it off the oh, top. Oh man, yeah, I, can't, I know who you're talking about. But I can't think of his name either. Yeah, um, he sounds like Bill too, and he he obviously lost people, not many, but lost people to Miami when, um, uh, Brian Flores went down to Miami. Now I know that was a few years ago, but still, Nick Casario. Thank you. You lose all these player people, and they take people with them. It siphons from your staff. What Bill needs to do is assess his offensive coaches, all right? I'm not saying Troy Brown should be the offensive coordinator because I don't know if he wants to have that responsibility. I know he's uh, the wide receivers coach. Uh, I think Ivan Fears is still the running backs coach. I'm not sure. I don't know if he wants that responsibility or is prepared for that responsibility. Maybe you go outside the organization and try to bring in someone. Maybe you go down to Tuscaloosa and ask Nick Saban, hey, do you got somebody? Defensively, make a fucking decision. Either go with your son or go with Gerard Mayo. Yeah. One of the two. Don't do this nickel and dime crap that you've been doing the past few years ever since Brian Flores left. Make a decision. It's got to be one or the other, yeah. If you don't care about what people think, and it's clear nepotism, but if you want to go that route, fine. Go with your son. Make him the defensive coordinator so that you can – shift your responsibility to the offense and help your offense grow or go with Gerard Mayo. Either one. I don't really care 
because I think either one of them is fully capable. I think Belichick, uh, Steve Belichick, his son, I think he's been doing the job well enough to where it's he's doing the job. He's not being handed the job. He's actually doing it. Right. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and, and I think Gerard Mayo is is good enough to run that defense, has the respect of the room, much like Steve Belichick. So make a decision so that way – Gerard Mayo and Steve Belichick can say, okay, I'm the coordinator and the other one needs to assess their, their path. Yeah. You know, maybe they need to go somewhere else because Gerard Mayo has already taken head coaching uh, interviews. Steve Belichick ain't going anywhere else. That's true. <laughs> but you understand my point. Though. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, like, like Gerard Mayo has not been the defensive coordinator. He is taking head coaching uh, interviews the past, I think, at least last year, if not the past two years. Yeah. I don't blame him because the guy is not being uh, given the title. So right. that's what Bill needs to do. Here you go, Gerard. Here you go, Steve. Yeah. Whomever is going to be the defensive coordinator, own this. I will chime in when I think you're screwing up, but own it. He gave it to Bell. He gave it to Patricia. He gave it to, um, um, Romeo Cornell for the longest time. He he didn't give the title, but he gave it to Brian Flores. So what you need to do is you need to decide what you're going to do on offense. You need to decide your structure, and you need to have Mac Jones intimately involved in that decision-making. And I think going down to Tuscaloosa and asking Nick Saban, hey, do you have any assistance, guys that you think – could run the offense that you had Mac Jones running could be a viable option as an offensive coordinator, or at least a de facto offense coordinator without the title. Cause I'm sure Bill Belichick doesn't want to give him the title right away, which is fine. That's the way he runs it. But this idea that Matt Patricia and Joe judge kind of a committee is just not going to work anymore. It's not. They don't have an offensive mind between the two of them. So let let Matt Patricia go back and be Ernie Adams for the rest of his career and be a useless useless turn for most of the game except for a few spots. And then Joe Judge can go be the uh, special teams coach again or whatever he wants to do. But this construct right now offensively is not conducive for Matt Jones. It's not conducive for Kendrick Bourne, Ramondre Stevenson. Uh, I can go down the list. Uh, Cole Strange, David Andrews, Isaiah Wynn, Trent Brown, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry, Tyquan Thornton. The entire and offense. And I, most, I importantly, most importantly, the whole, our young quarterback. Right. But most importantly, the young quarterback. You can throw in Billy Zappi all you want if, you, if you're one of those kind of people who want Billy Zappi. Guess what Billy Zappi's going to do? Absolutely nothing, because the last game he started was crap. So let the rookie be the rookie. Maybe somewhere down the road he might be a viable option at quarterback for another team. Right now your quarterback is Mac Jones. He makes the throws. He can identify. But the problem is, is the scheme and structure and rhythm of the game is not there. And that is 100% on the play caller. Because guess what, Chris? We don't have that problem on defense. No. When's the last time we saw an effective slant pass? 
Uh, that was Devontae. the bread and butter during Brady. You know, screen passes, slam passes that opened up right. the field for deep passes. I saw Devontae Parker uh, get a couple of them, but that's not his game. No. Because he doesn't want to go inside. Which is another thing, Chris. Devontae Parker, I found out, was a Matt Patricia. Um, was it a Matt? Yeah, it was a Matt Patricia thing getting Devontae Parker. Which I'm okay with because he's he's when he's called on, he's made some spectacular catches. He's done very well. But are they forcing it a little too much sometimes? Um, that is the problem, too. When they find something that works, they just do it ad nauseum to the point where it doesn't work anymore. Like, right. people talk about how good Zappy did. Look, he won the two games he started, and he didn't, he didn't, they didn't win that, that Green Bay game. Um, you know, but that's fine because he was the, he was, he was thrusting the backup in that game. Yeah. And even though they all knew they were going to start in Chicago, that entire thing was screwy when they started Mac and then brought Zappy in. And yeah, he let him right down the field for a touchdown. But he threw up two passes to Parker, or at least one on that first drive, that, that scored a touchdown on. That Parker just made an outstanding catch on. I mean, that ball was not a well-thrown ball. It, well, it was, but for the purpose. But it wasn't like it was like a bullet 30 yards downfield right into his hands. He had to right. go up and get it and, and take a hell of a hit. And it's like... And then all of a sudden, Zappy's doing that once every down or once every every series, and it's like that's not you're going to get first. Of all, you're going to get Devontae Parker killed, right? <laughs> you don't want that. And, and second of all, it, it's not going to work every time. It works if it's a surprise here and there, or if it's just a chance, or hey, we're going to throw it up and see if we can at least get interference or whatever. Right. Worst case scenario, it's an interception fifty yards downfield. Like that's fine, but he made some decent throws, but he didn't do anything Max not capable of. No, nope. and, and and it's it's really frustrating as a fan because you're looking at like I said we named all the players already, the personnel. I don't care what all these talking head national pundits say. They're gonna say whatever, whatever gets the masses riled up and gets them more clicks and downloads. So all these people saying Mac Jones isn't an athlete, Mac Jones isn't this, Mac Jones isn't that. The problem is the play calling and the structure of the offense. Like you said, it's nothing to do with the players. Yeah, you have to find a system that works for the players, but that's every team in the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, if all of a sudden the Baltimore Ravens switch to a run uh, a, a, a run second option and they tell Lamar they want him to throw it 50 times a game. I'm going to venture the Ravens are going to not be quite as effective on offense as they are as they, as they can be or right. at least have been, haven't been lately. But it, it, it's it's and it, it boggles my mind. Like I know you have to do what you what you can with what you have, but they've proven there's guys on this offense Tyquan Thornton had a great debut. Ever since then, where's he been? Haven't used him really. Uh, Kendrick Bourne, uh, you know, did a lot of really nice, you know, trick plays and end arounds and 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 ran the ball a little bit last year and looked great. And then all of a sudden, not using him. Parker looks great, but if you throw to Parker, it has to be a Parker game. And now you're throwing to Parker 12 times, 40 yards down the field, and that doesn't work every time. It's like, there seems to be absolutely no willingness to mix and match and make this work, which is what's always been the hallmark of a Belichick offense. That's why people, with the exception of Tom Brady, the few years that Welker and Moss were together, people absolutely hated taking Patriots offensive players, with the exception, like I said, of a few. Gronk was usually pretty safe. You know, yeah. whatever. Uh, because it was, yeah, Brady's going to throw 40 times a game, and he's going to complete passes to 11 different receivers, and the leading receiver is going to have three catches for 35 yards. <laughs> and and that's just how they're going to play the game. Right. And it always worked. And it's like, whatever they're doing now, 
it's like they're completely lost. They don't they don't understand. They don't watch video of their own offense. They don't know what's going on with their own team. And it's, it's sitting in there watching that game the other day. I'm like, that first drive looked so good. And they have the personnel to score against Buffalo. Ramondre Stevens ran the ball effectively when he when he had it. He's the leading receiver on that team, which isn't ideal, but I'm fine with it because he's good at it. He can do it. Jacoby Myers, Tyquan Thornton, Devontae Park. Like none of these guys in and of themselves are a solid number one. If you just went to a team with a, with a young quarterback and said, this is your number one guy you have to throw to 15 times a game, right. okay, that's not going to work. All those guys together with two very serviceable tight ends, there's no reason this offense should be struggling the way they are. There's no nope. reason. Oh, the offensive line. Okay, well, you know what? If you have time to develop a screen pass, two or three seconds to develop a screen pass, you have time to get someone five, six yards downfield mm-hmm. for a slant to get them open to – you have the talent, you have the speed. Tyquan Thornton, Kendrick Bourne, Marcus Jones – are three of the faster players they've had on that offense in a very long time. And it's almost like they don't know what to do with them. So it, it, hopefully they can figure it out because it'd be a shame to lose some of these guys too. Yeah. Like, I don't think Kendrick Bourne's going to be on this team next year. I don't blame no. him. He's no, not being either. used. And he, he proved he can do it. And they were just like, yeah, you know what? We're good. <laughs> what? And, and, and I'll just finish with this, Chris. For the Bills... The rest of the season is going to indicate what kind of team they are. And, and I know that's not like – that's not a crazy logic or like that's, uh, you know, Nostradamus over here, but they're looking at the Jets, Miami, the Bears, the Bengals, and the Patriots. That's that's the rest of their season. And two of those teams, they have already lost it. Yeah. The Jets and the Miami Dolphins. So they got the rematch with the Dolphins, the rematch with the Jets – are the next two games. And the Dolphins, they could very easily lose to again. And the Jets, depends which version of the team shows up. Right. And and I, I'm just looking at it like this this could like I don't I think they'll make the playoffs, but losing these two games back to back negates the rest of the season for them because I just think that puts Miami in a position to win the division as long as they handle their business. And then it puts the Jets right back in the conversation of of the division, especially since I think Mike White is going to be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season. I mean, he has to be, I would think. I mean, unless something, unless there's an injury, I think he, I think he's going to be it. So yeah. It, it it all hinges realistically on the next two games for this division. It's the next two games uh, after this weekend, obviously, because. The Bills and the Patriots already played. Uh, but it's the Jets, the Bills, and the Dolphins. These three teams. Who's going to win out? And if Miami is a, in, a, in a position where they're winning their games at home and they're dominating, I, I don't see them not winning this division, it, it, to be honest. They have San Fran and L.A., the next two games, uh, the Chargers. And then they got the Bills, the Packers, the Pats, and the Jets. And that Jets game could be useless, or it could be everything. But, you know, they're they're going to New England January 1st. That would be the only – that and the San Francisco game this weekend are the only two games I look at and say, 
Miami could lose because San Francisco's damn good. And, and Miami going to New England in, in the den of winter, we, we, yeah. know the, we know that recipe. Yeah. That's what that's with the Patriots going to Miami any time of the year. So exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh I, I'll just be interested to see how it, it, it susses out the next few weeks with the with the Jets and the and the and the Dolphins are facing uh the Buffalo Bills. It, it will really will kind of dictate the future for this year of the Buffalo Bills. I think it's gonna affect the team going into the future because if they're a wild card team going into this this playoff does that not bring them from here down to here a little bit oh yeah oh yeah totally and in their own mind they were, i mean that's what i mean about buffalo dude like they, they have the talent the team isn't any just because i don't think allen's on par with with mahomes doesn't doesn't mean i don't think the team can't beat the other team right I'm talking purely quarterback status, um, and just based on what I've seen, like I, I did nothing but doubt Josh. I look, I was hard on him the first two years, and I've done nothing but sing his praises ever since. And I'm not going back on that. He's really good, but he's not. He's not the be all. And a lot has to go right for Josh Allen, which it does on a very, very good Buffalo team. And that, that I don't know. And their their Bill Burr lookalike coach Sean McDermott just annoys the hell out of me. Hmm. He's another one. He talks crap about everybody who's won anything. He's never won anything himself. And he just walks around looking all angry and pissed off and Irish. And I can say that because I'm Irish. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's it, it, it just, you got at some point, you got to do something. It, it, I, and, I, and I said the same thing about the Patriots, by the way, when they had the little 10 year lull in between yeah. the, 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 the trifecta Super Bowls, both of them, mm-hmm. where they were still, you know, acting like, oh, we're this and we're that. I'm like, guys, I love you. You're my team, but you haven't done anything in a decade. Like right. at some point, you got to win, or you're just a team that used to play really well in the playoffs. I mean, that's all it comes down to. And, and if that's what they want to be, they want to be okay. That's fine. The problem is, is you now have the Dolphins who could jump you. Mm-hmm. In a matter of an off season, they could jump you, mm-hmm. and and the Patriots are kind of in this uh, malaise, and the Jets the same situation. They're in a malaise, so the division could be still controlled by the Bills. And we thought the Bills, for at least the next, I don't know, year or two, were still going to control this division. But the Dolphins could take it over and and put their stamp on this division and just say, this is ours. We got Tua, we got Tyreek, we have Jalen Waddell, and then we're just going to build pieces around it. And there's nothing wrong with that, and that could make it work. And we're just going to keep adding pieces each and every year. And, and honestly, we, we should have seen this coming with the Dolphins, and we just—I mean, think we just insisted that Tyreek wasn't going to make a difference because Tua isn't Mahomes, and right. just ignored all the rest. I liked Tua, but my concern was the same concern with, as most people who like Tua: is the frame. Yeah. Will it hold up? Tyreek's good, Jalen's good, but is is Tua going to hold up? He's a really good quarterback. He's accurate. You can throw the ball down the field. It's not about how he plays on the field. Is is he going to be available on the field? Because if he leaves the field, that team goes from Super Bowl contender to just average. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is going to do it for episode 191. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any questions for Ben or I on 
anything you heard on this episode, past episodes, or sports-related at all. We'd love to hear from you. And where can you get in touch with us? Well, you can hit us up on Twitter. That's at BCTSPod. Facebook, Ben and Chris Talk Sports. The website, BCTSPod.com. And Instagram, Ben underscore Chris Talk Sports. And if you have not done so yet and feel so inclined, please go to wherever you download your favorite podcast, leave a rating review, and ask a friend to do the same. We'd really appreciate the support. Till next time, for Ben, I am Chris. Please stay safe, stay healthy, and we will see you right back here next week. Thank you.